1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moran Analytics Podcast. Today is Friday, November 2nd, 2018. I am a recovering from the flu, Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I'll be joined by one of the more polarizing Buffalo sports media figures of the past 20 years, former Buffalo news writer and current Buffalo Maven writer, Slash, Sports Talk Radio host, Bucky Gleason, will be my guest on the podcast today. It's a kick-ass, wide-ranging interview with Bucky, covering a lot of topics, and I'll tell you what, love him or hate him, Bucky definitely does not disappoint when it comes to being a great quote. He never has, and he never will. He's always been one of the best interviews, and that definitely continues today. We talk about him being born and raised in Hamburg, New York, as part of a very large Gleason clan. I discuss with him what got him wanting to become a sports journalist, and we go through his career path, which of course included around two decades at the Buffalo News. I get a straight and honest answer from him on what made him decide to leave the Buffalo News and accept that buyout offer earlier this year as well as his thoughts on the newspaper industry as a whole. We talk about how the opportunity for the Buffalo Maven came about, as well as his venture into a full-time gig as morning sports talk radio host at 1270 The Fan, alongside his colleague and buddy Jerry Sullivan. Of course, Sully's been on this podcast as well before. We find out that Bucky nearly became a state trooper instead of being a sports writer at a younger age and plenty of other cool stories along the way. So stick around for that. I'm going to get to that interview in just a minute. Before that, though, real quick, some of you noticed, well, I surely hope you did anyway, that there was no podcast this past Tuesday. It's the first time that I had to miss doing a show since launching this about 7 8 months ago and it sucked man it sucked truth is i was sick as a dog i just i couldn't do it I had the flu i still have the flu actually and that shit it shut me down man it shut me down like a like a Nate Peterman led buffalo bills offense that's how bad it was i already had copd by the way i don't know if you knew that or not so when it comes to you know getting sick it hits me like a ton of bricks when it happens it doesn't happen often but when it does it hits me much harder than most. I I couldn't get out of bed. Couldn't stop coughing. could barely talk. Spent basically four days sleeping on and off on the couch the entire time. I mean, I'd get up, walk around for a couple hours. I'd be so tired I'd go back to bed. By the way, you know, honestly, wasn't the worst thing. Laying on the couch, watching TV, and sleeping. I guess there's worse things in life that could happen to you. Anyway, you can't keep a hero down. So although I'm still not 100%... I am back today. I consider it rather heroic. I think you should too. I know the world out there. It badly needs some more analytics. And who am I to not give you people what you want and what you need? (laughs) Seriously, though, jokes aside, it did suck not being able to do a podcast on Tuesday. I really like and enjoy doing this podcast for you guys. I really do. Hopefully it doesn't happen again for quite a while. Thanks for tuning in, like always. And on that note, let's get down to business. Here's today's podcast, which features my interview with the guy who truly does not mince words at all. I'm talking about Bucky Gleason. Okay, my guest today was a reporter and a columnist at the Buffalo News for 20 years before leaving this past year. He's now along with his colleague and close friend, Jerry Sullivan, has a weekday morning radio show on 1270 The Fan and also writes Bills and Sabres content for the Buffalo Maven website. I'm talking about Bucky Gleason. What's up, Bucky? How you doing? Thanks for coming on today.
0: Yeah, th- thanks for having me. How's it going?
1: I'm doing good. I'm getting over being sick. But, I, you know, you're you're a big fish, man. I I can't blow you off. I need to have you on the show whenever I get that chance. So...
0: Yeah, I'm not even a big fish in my own house, so I know better than I think that.
1: (laughs) Now, I started my interview when I had Sully on a couple weeks ago with this question, and I want to ask you the same thing because I think it kind of pertains to you equally. Through your career, you know, along with Sully, probably more than anyone I've ever seen in the Buffalo sports media, fans have either loved your honesty in your work or they've lashed out at you over it, maybe for the same reason, you know, being honest in your work. Have you always felt that type of strong reaction both ways from supporters and critics alike? You know, how much thought do you give it? That fans seem to have a very strong reaction to you, just like Sully, and they always have, whether that's good or bad.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I haven't put a whole lot of thought into it. I really haven't. I mean, I know that, you know, it does tend to get reactions out of people, some of which used to really catch me by surprise, and that has happened so much for so many years that you're not surprised by anything. And I think that you know, part of it is, is that in today's world, you know, so many things are kind of, uh, filtered, you know, there's a lot of things that are kind of the the edges have been, have been smoothed over, uh, over time, I think. And we kind of still go at it the same way. I mean, I I certainly do. And he can, he can speak for himself and that is to just go and give it to him straightforward. I mean, I only know of one way and I always found it funny the, when people responded to my work, because it was the same approach both ways. It didn't matter whether, you know, what I happened to be writing was positive or what I happened to be writing was negative. I never once thought about what the reaction was going to be when I was writing. Mm -hmm. In other words, I didn't sit there and think like, Ooh, but people are going to be upset because I wrote this or people are going to be happy because I wrote that. I really have just tried to, to, you know, you just write what you see. And, you know, it's human nature to form opinions along the way. I have strong ones. I've been an opinionated person, uh, you know, since I was a young kid. And, you know, I, when I hear people say, you know, geez, you know, you're so opinionated, you know, it, it, as an insult, I kind I take it as a compliment. I mean, I'm supposed to be opinionated. I have a column and that's what columnists do. You know, they offer opinions and perspective and, and you would hope some insight along the way. And, you know, I've been around for a long time. I've seen a lot of different things. Uh, I've covered a lot of different things and a lot of different people. And I always just kind of felt an obligation to just, you know, give people what I thought was the truth. It was always it was going to be my version of the truth. And I didn't ask anybody to agree with it or disagree with it. I didn't, I never really um, felt any animosity toward people that disagree with me, nor did I feel better when people did agree with me. I just thought, okay, um, that's kind of like, you know, how, how the business goes and, and what people don't realize, especially whether they're, they're happy with what you wrote or they're upset with what you wrote. It's that there's always somebody that has the opposite opinion. So, sure, you know, in a way as a columnist, like you could not win, that's one way of looking at it. But the way I kind of looked at it was you can't lose either because there's always going to be varying opinions and, and people have them for me to suggest, that, that they should agree with me otherwise would be wildly hypocritical and <laughs> and delusional. I mean, you know, look, there have been times I've written stuff on a Sunday and probably disagree with myself on a Tuesday. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it does happen because we're not right all the time. It's just your view of things at the time that you're right. And, and I think that, you know, the, the lowest standard uh, for people that were reading my columns was to expect, you know, honesty and the truth. Sure. And I never, I never want to ask them to agree.
1: Sure. Now we're going to talk about a couple of sports media things and also the radio show in a few. I want to keep the same premise with you that I have most of my sports media guests. And a big part of that is giving fans a chance to learn a little bit more about you beyond just the work you do. So kind of let me circle back to the beginning a little bit here. I know you're Western New York born and raised. Where exactly are you from?
0: Yeah, I, I grew up in uh, Hamburg. I'm from a, a very big family. Uh, my father is the oldest of 11, uh, 10 boys and a girl. Wow uh, and our our family, the Gleesons in Hamburg are um, there's a lot of us so and there's a lot, <laughs> and because there are so many boys in our family when we were all young, we were all uh, running around raising hell and there were a lot of people that knew us. We were involved in sports. My, my dad coached uh, baseball and basketball when I was young, I learned a ton from him at a very young age. And uh, those were things that I took with me all the way up. You know, I understood the importance of teamwork and fundamentals, and and all that stuff that that uh, coaches at the highest levels preach on a daily basis. Like I, that was what I grew up with. So, you know, it was, it was really kind of cool. You know, my father was the oldest of that group, and uh, and so I had uncles that were just a little bit older than me. Um, in fact, I have an aunt that married into our family that graduated a year behind me in high school. That's oh. how close we are in age. I had two of my uncles. They were, they stood up at my wedding. And, uh, I, and I have like, I think maybe four or five of my uncles are closer to my age than they are my father's. And, and that's their own brother. So that was kind of a, it was, it was kind of a close knit Hamburg community that was involved in a lot of sports. We had a lot of fun. And, uh, and, you know, my upbringing was, you know, to, to, to voice your opinion, but to be truthful and to really be able to, to to really be able to back it up too. You know, don't, you know, my father would start, my father would start, uh, you know, arguments at the, at the kitchen table, not on a daily basis, but pretty frequently. And then, uh, and then he would pick the other side of the argument, you know what I mean? So it was, it was a constant, uh, you know, challenge, I think intellectually on a certain level at our house and, And to me, it was normal. So I grew up kind of voicing my opinion and and kind of supporting my own opinion long before I ever got into uh, sports writing.
1: When you were a little kid, from what you can remember, who were a few of your favorite athletes and teams that you liked a lot?
0: Oh, I love the Buffalo Braves. You know, like, you know, I grew up, my dad, as I mentioned, was a basketball coach. I loved basketball. It's funny because people, for all these years... I think they, they viewed me as a hockey guy because I covered so much hockey and covered the Sabres for so long. But I, I actually loved basketball during my youth. And, you know, it wasn't that I admired Ernie Ernie D. I, I felt like I was Ernie D. And if people don't know who Ernie D is, it's Ernie D. Gregorio, mm-hmm. you know, the great uh, Braves point guard. And, you know, when I was, whatever, seven, eight years old, and he was playing for the Braves, I just wanted to be him. And uh, the way that he could dribble the ball, the way that he moved, the way that he – he led those teams. It, it was it was awesome to me. I loved the Braves, but I loved all, all the teams. You know, look, you know, I grew up in uh, in the 70s. I was born in 1967. So, you know, in, in 75, 76, 77, during those times of my youth, you know, you had the Sabres going to the Stanley Cup in 75, and you had OJ. You know, I, rem- I, I, I do remember OJ when OJ was great and even even the bills with those terrible teams you know it was still fun watching him and he was like an international star and Gilbert Perot and Bob McAdoo won a couple of scoring titles with the Braves I mean Buffalo is a really bustling sports town at the time and that was what I was growing up with and uh and it wasn't just that like I, I because we had the Courier Express which I delivered when I was a kid and the Buffalo News they really did a good job back then of covering amateur sports so I was kind of paying attention and I was up with, with the local athletes too. And I looked at some of them as, as even my heroes, even though, you know, they weren't at the professional
1: level. Now you went to Buff State for college. Why did you decide to go to Buff State? And were there other schools that you considered going to, or that maybe you wanted to go to?
0: You know, I really didn't know what I was going to do when I got out of high school. I mean, I had an idea. Uh, I, I was a, I was a paperboy for the courier express. I'd like to tell people that I single handedly put them out of business as being like the worst paperboy in the history <laughs> of the company. And part of the reason that I say that is because I would wake up in the morning and I would read the newspaper, you know, every, every morning before I delivered it, it was always late. I was always getting phone calls at my house and, and it was, you know, I was always getting yelled at for, for that stuff and just being a bad paper boy anyway. Um, but it really kind of you know, triggered a lot, a lot of what ended up happening. And that was, I was just a voracious reader. But when I got out of high school, I was kind of like goofing off in high school. I, you know, I, I played sports and I, and I knew a lot about sports and, um, you know, I was a halfway decent student and I was a pretty good uh, writer. I thought at that time, you know, like I, it just came easy to me. Um, advanced composition and English, you know, those, those were, those were, uh, things that came really easy to me and I just struggled royally like in biology and chemistry but mm. I didn't, wasn't quite sure what to do with it right so you know I went to Buffalo State College it was nearby they had dorms uh, you know it just seemed to to fit what I uh, thought about doing and, and I went in there without a major I didn't have any real plans set that place but in the back of my mind I knew that they had a journalism program and there's going to come a point where I was going to give that a, a, a try, or at least I had thought about it. And once I did that, uh, man, I was hooked. And, uh, I was fortunate enough, uh, really through circumstance, uh, to the Buffalo news needed somebody to answer phones and take bowling scores and high school scores. And, um, and so I applied for a job there as a clerk and ended up getting the job. I think I was in the newsroom for about maybe, I don't know, a half an hour and, you know, I suddenly looked around and I was like, holy cow, you know, like I actually work at the same place as Larry Seltzer and Don Esmond, who was uh, the great columnist at the time, sports columnist at the time. And, and other people that I grew up reading, Milt Northrup, and, you know, there's, you know, Jim Kelly, who ended up being a great mentor of mine. All of a sudden, these guys were my coworkers, and uh, and I loved every minute of it. Um, you know, I was, I, I couldn't wait to get to work. I would pick up any shift that I could.
1: Was that an intimidating thing to you at first, being a young guy? Working at the news? no. Oh, was it, yeah, you know, maybe on a certain level. I
0: don't recall being intimidated because they were such good people. You okay. Know? Um, and I was pretty confident in my sports knowledge. It wasn't like I was some lost puppy out there who's just like this meek kid. I didn't have that personality. I was, I was a very outgoing person and, uh, and I didn't have a problem with, you know, sticking out my hand and, and shaking people's hands and introducing myself. You know, I, it was just kind of my extroverted personality, I guess. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I just, I really liked the business of it all. You know, like I, I knew a lot about sports, you know, when you're taking high school sports, you'd have these coaches and they'd be calling. They'd say like, you know, yeah, it was Tomaszewski, you know, from Maryville or whatever. And they'd start going, you know, T-O-M. I'm like, I got it. I know the name. You know, I, yeah. I, I was following the kid. I knew who he, who they were talking about. And and so, you know, I did that for a while and then just kind of, you know, eased myself into an internship, you know, talked myself into being allowed to write a little bit. And and really just kind of gradually, literally from the bottom up, from getting coffee for for the people that were in the business for a long time. And, and being around them and answering phones and, and learning from osmosis it was, was really, you know, the greatest education that I could get. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that in college. Like here I was working at the Buffalo News and and other people are, you know, they're just trying to get a, a degree. And I was like, I, I'm i getting this, you know, hands-on life experience while I'm going to school. I, you couldn't beat it. It was awesome.
1: Now, you went on to have a very long and memorable career at the Buffalo News. We're going to kind of weave in and out of that a little bit. You've moved on from the Buffalo News, of course. Before we talk about the website and the radio show, which I definitely want to talk about both of those, I'd be remiss if I had you on the show and I didn't talk to you a little bit about the Buffalo News. For you, what was the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, that made you decide that you were going to accept the buyout offer from the news and leave after, you know, roughly 20 years? Everyone has different answers. You know, I had Sully on and he had a specific thing for you. Was there one specific thing or was it a culmination of a bunch of things?
0: It was a a combination of about 10 different things. And uh, some of it had to do with the newspaper industry as a whole. You know, I didn't like the direction that the newspaper was going, the newspaper industry was going in. Um, you know, you heard the horror stories out there about people that were losing their jobs left and right, some really good people. Sure. And so, you know, part of you said, all right, well, why don't you hang on to this job? Because you're fortunate enough to have it. And part of me said, well, you know, I I don't know where all this is going. And I was nervous about it. And I was also I didn't like uh, some of the direction that the Buffalo News itself was going in. Um, You know, I thought that you know, one of our jobs was was really to uphold the truth or, or to be truthful. And, and you know, we covered some bad teams for a long period of time. yeah. And, you know, so we had a reputation, well, you guys are negative. If you, if you go back and look, you'd find a, a, a ton of positive things that were written. It was a reflection of the teams that we were covering and not necessarily, you know, some as if like we didn't like the teams. I mean, it was just ludicrous to have that idea. Well, there were people that came in from the Buffalo news that weren't from Buffalo that didn't understand the nature of living here. And, uh, and they thought, well, you know, these guys, they, I think they started to buy into some of the, the, uh, social media aspects of it. You know, in other words, they listened to the Twitter mob as if the Twitter mob was going to be, you know, some accurate measure of our work. And right. It's just ludicrous to me for for them to even think about that was nuts. Uh, and then it got to a point where they they were going to take away our columns. And I was like, All right, well, you know, for an industry that I was losing confidence in and a newspaper that I was losing confidence in, to me it was counterproductive to what they were trying to accomplish by their own metrics. And when I say their own metrics, it was like, okay, well, you know, who are the people that that most – who are the writers that most people were reading? And I knew one of them was Jerry Sullivan. And if they were going to move Jerry Sullivan out out of his column, I was like, that doesn't make us better. That makes us worse. You know, John Vogel by then had made a decision to leave him leaving didn't make us better. That made us worse. And for whatever I offered that newspaper, and I did a lot of different things for them, whether it was writing columns or whether it was writing features, I could cover uh, anything from high schools. And I did, to you know, obscure runners or whatever it was uh, to the bills and Sabers. I did all those things, whatever I offered to that newspaper, moving me out of that role did not make us better. In my opinion, I thought that it made us worse. So, you know, if I was losing confidence in the industry and I was losing confidence in the newspaper, that just put the whole thing on steroids. And I was like, you know what, Um, you know, if there's a buyout to be had, I think I need to take advantage of this opportunity while I can. And one other aspect of that, Pat, was that, you know, my wife still works at the Buffalo News and we were fearful that, you know, if if something catastrophic happened and just say they closed their doors in one day, both of us would have been out of a job Yeah, and that would have... worst possible scenario that you could have, you know, so from a, it it really was, you hear people say, well, you know, it was a family decision and it's a crock, right? They're making selfish decisions in a lot of ways. For me, it was a family decision. It really was because, you know, I was not going to, you know, put my family in a situation where suddenly we weren't able to have health insurance or, you know, we were going to be out of two jobs instead of just one. And, uh, and so, you know, we made the decision, we sat down, we talked about it. I spoke with friends and people that I trusted inside the business, outside the business and I made a decision and, and I really haven't looked back.
1: Now you're going to be preaching in the choir here because I think a newspaper without columnists is absolutely absurd and stupid, but why do you think from their side that the Buffalo news or maybe not just the Buffalo news, cause it's happening in other newspapers too. Why do you think newspapers are starting to want to do away with columnists. It's just something, as forget being you know a podcast or, or host or anything like that, just as a sports fan all my life who likes reading, I just cannot grasp and understand why newspapers are starting to want to do away with columnists. I just don't get it.
0: It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, look, I think the one thing that you have when you're a columnist is you have a couple of things going for you. One, you have a little bit more freedom than the beat writer who's there every day. And, uh, you know, he might be covering the Sabres game or whatever. And I've done all that stuff. I was a beat writer. And, you know, I understood, you know, what that meant. And it's a really important job. Um, so, you know, but you're limited into, into what, you, to what you can say. And if you have a columnist that's wired up the right way and that has the stomach for it, the backbone to be able to share his opinions, um, especially when, when times are difficult, then to me, then you have somebody that's worth reading. You know, and really, it, it really just comes down to how honest can you really be with yourself and how honest can you really be with your readers? And to me, you know, after you have years and years, like in, in, in my case, you know, having grown up in Buffalo, uh, worked in Buffalo for a long time, uh, had been at the newspaper, understood the pulse of the city, I could bring a perspective that maybe other people couldn't uh, either for, for one reason or another, maybe they were unwilling or maybe they were incapable or whatever, but I felt like I was in a pretty good spot there. And I felt that I was serving, uh, you know, the newspaper well, and I, and, and I could look in the mirror every night saying, okay, well, you know, you're doing the best that you can here and you're being honest with yourself. And I think, you know, there came a certain point where there was, there was a tone change where it was like, Hey, um, you know, maybe you shouldn't be this way or don't look at things so critical. I mean, I mean, do you people know what I do for a living? And it's what I do. Yeah. So, um, you know, it made it difficult and, you know, you had, you had two people that came into the newspaper that that weren't from Buffalo. They didn't understand, uh, Buffalo. And I think that Buffalo is a different place. And, you know, the people there, the readers, they have a relationship with the people that work at the newspaper, whether it's long distance or not. And in my case, it was both, it was both people that read what I was writing and it was also personal relationships that I had, you know, spent my entire life building. So, um, you know, their decision to do away with the columns uh, really didn't make much sense to me at all, at least to do away with my column.
1: Now, you know, you and Sully are fine and, uh, you know, everyone who left is fine and maybe the Buffalo News for that matter, they'll regroup and they'll be fine too in the long run. But did you ever think the day would come where not like, not just you and Sully, but like Tim and Bob and John, uh, everyone would be ex-Buffalo News employees so fast. Is it a process that you saw coming or is it like, bam, this came out of nowhere, it felt like. Because that's what it felt like to the consumer. No, I,
0: well, I, I think that it speaks to, you know, if you look at the people who left, I think there were 19 people across the newsroom and six or seven in sports alone. There was a lot of people that were reassigning. To me, it was like they had disagreed with the direction that the newspaper was going in. And I think that people came to the same conclusion. This is not the newspaper that we spent years building. They are going to go in a different direction they had to make decisions, and based on their decisions, then we had our own decisions to make. It's not like we all had a big meeting and said, let's all walk out. That didn't happen at all. It was different people uh, left for different reasons. They had their own personal reasons for leaving. I respected the people who didn't leave because they had their own reasons for staying. Um, you know, Some might be close to uh, retirement, and they were uh, you know, making sure that they could maximize their pensions or whatever. And some might have worried that they might not be able to get another job. And, you know, I had those fears, too. Um, sure. You know, I still do. I'm not I'm 100 percent sure that this radio uh, situation is going to work, but I was willing to bet on myself. And, and I was OK with trying to uh, take a chance at something. And if I failed, well, so what? You know, I have four kids and they they, they could watch somebody, you know, their their dad. Uh, take a chance and, and do what you thought was right, uh, you know, in the face of, of, of security really. And uh, you know, bet on yourself a little bit. It's all right. If you, if you fail, then, you know, you pull yourself back up and you, you scrape off your pants and you're and you get back at it and you figure out another way to go about things.
1: Now you formed what I assume a pretty good bond with a lot of your media travel mates, you know, you, you, you're a columnist, but you've also been a reporter you've covered the savers for a long time too. Whether it was from the Buffalo News or other outlets, what was it like for you going on the road to cover games? Was it something that you really enjoyed doing? What's life like on the road with other media members?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, life on the road is is not what it's cracked up to be. You know, I and mean, I had it under ideal circumstances when I was a Sabres beat writer. Uh, it was easier and it was cheaper for all involved uh, for us to travel right with the team. Now, mm-hmm. that's how it was at the time. So we bought a seat on the team. Sabres charter. It wasn't like, uh, you know, we went for free or anything like that. It was, you know, we, we paid for a seat on the charter and, you know, paid for every hotel and all that other stuff. There were no freebies or anything like that, but it did make travel a little bit easier because a lot easier really, uh, because, you know, flying in and out of Buffalo can be difficult, especially when you're coming to, you know, from, from various places, you know, like whatever it's, whatever city is, there's always a connecting flight. It seems to Buffalo, unless you're coming from New York or Chicago, maybe, you know, there are Uh very few direct flights. So from the the actual travel aspect, you know, that made my life a little bit easier. And, uh, but it is hectic. And, and I will say this, you know, for all the cool things that I saw and the the cities that I've been able to go to and, and, you know, you know, you talk about meeting other media in different towns, all those things are important. Um, it could, it it does get old pretty quick. And, uh, I mentioned before that I have four children and, you know, I just, I didn't want to spend a career on the road. Uh, you know, I wanted to spend a career at home. And it was far more important sure. to me than anything that could have been happening in, uh, you know, you know Long Island. So, you know, if I was at a Sabres game and I missed a lot of stuff, you know, I, I covered, I don't know how many Stanley Cups, I think parts of 10 or 12 Stanley Cups. And they always came during my daughter's uh, dance recital. So I missed a lot of dance recitals and it bothered me. Um But, you know, it is the nature of the job, and you accept that when you get into it. And, you know, you you just do the best that you can to make it work.
1: Now, you were at the news during a time, and you mentioned a couple of these guys, like Jim Kelly, Larry Felser, perhaps two of the greatest Buffalo sports writers ever. They were there. What was it like working with them? I'm sure you learned a few things in your career from guys like Jim Kelly.
0: Jim Kelly was like, uh, like an uncle to me or like a big brother to me or, you know, there's a, there's a bit of an age rate gap. I think it was 18 years, but I learned so much from that guy. I don't know if I start, we'll be talking for about four hours, not, <laughs> not for an hour. I mean, I, I mean, I, I just, I owed everything to him. Um, you know, and there were times even after he left the news after he passed away that, it, and even today that I still think, how would Jim Kelly handle the situation? You know? And, uh, I mean, I just can't say enough about how much that guy helped me. It was, he was awesome he was just so gracious with his time. Um, you know, he understood that I, uh, you know, was, was eager to learn that I was going to be a sponge. And, you know, he taught me a few things. One of the things that, that he wouldn't do. And I appreciated this years later was that he would never let me in on any of his sources. He was, he had his own sources and his basic rule was, look, man, I have my sources. You need to develop your own sources. And some of them might be the same and some of them won't be the same. Right? And, you know, but they have to come from you. They can't come from me. There's a trust value that you build, you know, when, when going through that stuff as a young, as a young beat reporter. Well, one thing that Jim Kelly really did more than anybody else was that he also wrote the truth. Now I've had a million people after he left, you know, say like, you know, when Jim was here, he would have done this or whatever. You know, Jim and most of those people they it, it was in an effort to criticize me. They didn't know what they were talking about. Jim was a tough dude, man. And uh and he got after it uh in a way that only he could. And so when I look back on things, you know, would Jim have approved of some of the things that I wrote? Yeah. I think in, in many cases he would have said it wasn't strong enough. That you should have been that I should have been actually going a little bit harder than I did. But he uh he was the man. I mean, he knew a lot of people in a lot of different places and I met a lot of people through him. And because of that, it was almost like, you know, I had a free pass. You know what I mean? It was like, Hey, if you were buddies with Jim or you work with Jim, then you're okay with me. And, you know, I tried to do that for, for people who followed me the best that I could, but I, I certainly was no Jim Kelly. I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> I, well, no one is. So I wanted to ask your opinion on this because you were so involved with this. How intense was it the media battle at the time between the Buffalo news and WGR during the Sabres tank era. I mean, you specifically, you were going at with the WGR guys pretty good for a while, a lot of back and forth. How intense was that? Or was it kind of something that got blown out of proportion?
0: I thought it was completely blown out of proportion. I didn't feel like I was going at it with them. I felt like I have my opinion on this and I had, you know, years of experience and understood how difficult it was to build a hockey team. As, mm-hmm. as I mentioned before, I had covered a bunch of Stanley Cups. I understood the difference between, you know, the greatest teams in the league, which I would see every year in the Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, I had covered the Olympics. I I knew how I knew what really good hockey looked like. And I also, you know, knew enough general managers, enough scouts, enough people around the league to understand how difficult it was to build. And when you tank, um, first of all, mathematically, it didn't make sense to me you know, you're going to sit there and tank for one player when there are all kinds of examples where it didn't work. Now, they would, you know, people would point to say, all right, well, you know, look at what happened. Look at Mario Lemieux. He turned the fortunes around in the Penguins or whatever. That is not the way that you go about things. I mean, you might have somebody that you can build around, and that's great, but you have to make a lot of right decisions after you get that player. Mm -hmm. And when that player is sitting on the bench for two-thirds of the game, that means, uh, you know, you you need – in hockey specifically – you need a lot more than that. And to me, it was the most asinine thing in the world that you could do. And when I look back on it now, has it been worth it for people? Because you have Jack Eichel, even if you had Connor McDavid, they didn't need Jack Eichel or Connor McDavid. They needed Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid and others once they got in that spot. And to me, I also understood that, you know, look, you can build a losing culture and it's really hard to recover from that because when you're in an organization where not only is, is losing accepted, it's encouraged, then what kind of a message does that send to players, young players to specifically, you know, that it's okay to come in here and pick up a paycheck? And I I think that they're still suffering from some of the ramifications of that. Now, you know, whatever GR or other people were saying, it didn't matter to me. I had my own opinion. I I understood the league. I knew the league. And we could we could sit here and talk all day about it. And I wasn't going to budge from that opinion because I knew that it it just doesn't work. There are too many things that can go wrong and it's a heck of a lot easier to build from the middle and and build up than it is from all the way at the bottom. Because when you go down to the bottom of the ladder, all it is is you have that many more rungs to get up to to, just to get to the middle and, 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 and they're still not there. So you have to do a lot, right? It leaves a, a very little room for error. And I understood all that because I had years and years of experience. It wasn't like some cute little gimmick. I, I knew that you needed more than one player. I didn't care who the player was or what superstar status that he had. It wasn't going to turn around the fortunes of a hockey team. It, it wasn't the NBA. It wasn't LeBron.
1: Did the tank frustrate you with how fans were towards it? I mean, it was like a division, unlike anything I've ever seen in Buffalo sports between pro tankers and and anti-tankers, you know what I mean. Forget. I know your job was to write about the team and you know stories that come from it, but just the fan reaction, you know, so many people wanted to tank, and then so many people who agreed with your opinion said this is the dumbest thing ever. It was just crazy how divided the fans were during that time, and still are to a certain extent.
0: Well, I'd like to know how many people uh, who, who backed that and were saying, you know, yeah, you should tank, you got to tank, and they got a board of a popular opinion who are now saying, yeah, I knew that was stupid. Um, you know, it's funny how, how funny, how, yeah, things, the opinions change over the, you know, based on the, on the results of what happened. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, if I thought anything, it was like, I, I I guess I was probably a little bit disappointed that that many people thought that there was going to be an easy fix when there are no easy fixes really in pro sports. You know, I mentioned LeBron James just a minute ago. Well, LeBron James is, he's on the court for 40 minutes a game. You know what I mean? He's one player that has the ball a lot. Right. And so the math actually can work in basketball. You know, that you would almost even understand. It wasn't even about the morality of tanking. In other words, basically trying to set your team up to fail. Although I had problems with that too. You know, it was, it was really along the lines of it, it's just, it's a, it's a bad way to build a hockey team. It's just, it makes, it makes things really, really difficult. And, you know, will it, will it ever uh, work? You know, in other words, you know, is there a time where people could look and Jack like will say, well, you know, look, the tank worked, you know, the Sabres just won a Stanley cup. It wouldn't be because they tanked. It was, it was, it would be, uh, despite the tank it's because they made so many moves that took years and years and years to get them up to that point. It won't even be on, it won't even, you can't even credit the people who did it, which actually started with, with, uh, Darcy Regeer. It would be the people that followed that made the decisions that, they were able to finally, you know, bring this team back and, and win the championship, and, you know, who knows if that'll ever happen.
1: I'm sure you've been asked this before. If, a, if somebody like a high school teenager or somebody like that came up to you and said, you know what, Bucky, I'm thinking of becoming a sports journalist in the future, what's something that you would definitely recommend to them and endorse that they do?
0: I'd uh, find a different profession. Why? I mean, I, I, I just, I, I don't think that it's stable enough right now uh, there are a lot of different, uh, media, uh, platforms out there. And I just, I don't know that it's worth it the way that it was worth it for me. I think that so much has changed, you know, it's really tough right now. I think to make any real money doing it, I would strongly recommend that, um, you, you try to do something else. I would, uh, I can't, I couldn't honestly tell somebody, you know what, you know, if you want to be a sports writer, you're going to be just fine because I can't make that promise. You know, I, I understood that you know, when I was, if I kept working at it, you know, I, I worked at the Atlanta Times Herald, I worked at the Gazette, I worked at the Associated Press, I left town, I came back, I put a lot of work, a lot of time, and a lot of energy just to have a chance at it. And, you know, the people that I went to school with at Buffalo State, I, I didn't know anybody else uh, that I went to school with that had the same job. And so I was somehow beating the odds to, to for that. And that was then. I think now I just, I, I just think it's really difficult to do, you know, it, it just is. Now, if you're that passionate about it, and you feel an overwhelming need to uh, make this a career, then, you know, just make sure that you're going about it the right way. Don't compromise, you know, don't make sure that you're challenging people. Um, you know, you're, you're there to report the news. And if you're, if, if you're a columnist, and you're, you're there to offer something different, you know, perspective and whatever it takes years for that to, uh, to happen. You have to have some experience and whatnot, but too many times I, I see nowadays, uh, I, I watch younger people. Um, some, some of them are older who have, who have changed, uh, allow, you know, access and other things to determine how they go about their jobs. And they're not giving people the the straight truth. And, you know, we mentioned, before Jim Kelly and Larry Felser, they would be disgusted, I think, if they were alive today and they watched how some of this stuff has unfolded.
1: I'll tell you what, that straight up was the most honest answer I think I've ever had in the history of this podcast. I've asked a bunch of sports media guests that same question. That was That's a brutally honest answer. Much respect for that. I respect the hell out of that. Good answer.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, uh, you know, I really don't. It's not, I I, I don't know. I don't see any. You're being lying. honest. I don't see any sense in, in, you know, sugarcoating. I just think that that's what it is. You ask me the question, I'm going to give you the answer, and I only know one way. And I mean, maybe some people appreciate it, maybe some people don't, but that's that's the only way that I know.
1: Yeah, I hear you, man. Much respect. How did the opportunity with Buffalo Maven come about? I know you decided to lay low a little bit after the thing with the Buffalo News happened. I first talked to you a couple months ago.
0: You know, it was interesting. Um, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do next. Uh, you know, I did, I was told when I left Buffalo News that to take some time off and it was the best advice that I could have had. Uh, it took, you know, a, a few weeks, if not a, a couple of months, as I like to say, to rinse, you know, a, you know, 22 years out of me and that thinking and, you know, whether, you know, is there animosity? I mean, I guess there was a little bit of animosity because it was something that I really cared about. And in my opinion, they were ruining it. So yeah, I mean, it, 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 bothered me, but I also felt, you know, good about the fact that I was able to receive a buyout, which allowed me the time to think about it. In other words, I didn't have to rush into anything. Else. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. Um, I, I'm not going to tell you what jobs that were out there, uh, out of respect to the to jobs that I didn't take, sure, um, or jobs that I was up for. But I had some interesting opportunities that ended up, uh, for one reason or, or another, you know, not taking shape. You know, I, I will tell you one thing: the athletic. I was interested in the athletic on a certain level. I wasn't totally into it, um, and they weren't totally into me. There were some conversations that went back and forth they were brief and they decided to go in a different direction and I, and so did I, Uh Um, but when the Buffalo Maven came across, it was kind of like, look, man, you know, you're going to have a chance to be able to do what you want in the way that you see fit. You know, now, you know, the trick is going to be monetizing that it's going to be making sure that you can get enough people around you, sponsors, advertisers, otherwise, uh, to, to be able to, to do that. But I look at, I looked at it as, as an opportunity you know, something that I had envisioned years earlier that, you know, when all these newspapers were struggling and they were going, uh, spending all kinds of money on print and, and trucks and the delivery service and all this other stuff, the marketing it and all that, you know, I thought, why, you know, why, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this on our own? So this is kind of an opportunity. It's not exactly that, but it's kind of an opportunity for me, uh, to be able to, to do what I've always done, um, you know, on a certain level. And and I, you know, I had Sully uh, along for the ride. He wanted to continue writing. I thought that I still had something to offer. And right now I do, you know, how long is that going to last? I don't know. We're going to find out, you know, we're, we're, we're going to find out, but for now, I'd like to think that we're still doing some pretty good work. And, uh, then one thing that hasn't changed really is our approach. And I, I didn't think that it needed to. So, uh, we're going to keep going at it.
1: You mentioned it earlier, kind of betting on yourself again. With this venture,
0: yeah, a little bit, you know. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do, right? You know, um, when you're when when you're betting on yourself, you know, and and I could be wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say that. Yeah, we got this. You know, there are some some things that need to be done um, in order to make that site, uh, you know, worth going to. But the only way that you can do it is with content, and and I think right now the content is really good. Yeah. So at least, at least on our Buffalo Maven side, I mean, you have two writers that understand Buffalo sports and, you know, hopefully we're going to get to a point where we can expand it. You know, we want, you know, right now it's really predominantly football. we want to expand it uh, to hockey. And I think at some point we will. And, you know, there are local colleges and there are things that that ought to be covered, you know? So look, you know, last year, you know, the Buffalo News wasn't even interested really in covering college basketball. And I literally said to them, I'm like, are you people, are you crazy? Like, this is going to be the best year of college basketball in the history of Buffalo. Yeah. And I wasn't even quite sure at the time whether or not Canisius was going to be good enough. I just didn't know. I knew that Niagara was going to be better. I knew that Bonaventure was going to be good. And I knew that UB was going to be damn good. And those things I was certain of. And I knew that it was setting up to be one hell of a year in basketball, but, you know, I got the impression that all they wanted to talk about were the, were the bills and the Sabres and, you know, Buffalo's reach goes beyond that. So, um, you know, those are things that we would like to do with the Buffalo Maven if we're able to now, you know, it's a big if. you know, you have to generate the money in order to keep the, uh, the business going.
1: Sure. How important was it for you to continue working with Sully? You've had a very close relationship with at work and I'm sure off work as well through the years.
0: You know, we have an interesting relationship. I think that he would be the first one to uh, tell you. We both of us have kind of agreed that it's like a brotherly thing, you know, in a way. Like he, you can fight like cats and dogs, and we do. But ultimately, you know, I don't like it when other people criticize him because I understand how talented he is and how hard he works. Sure. And you know, a lot of the people that criticize him have they don't have a clue what they're talking about, you know. And so I just shake my head and say, "Do you understand? Like this guy, you know." you can take him to any newspaper anywhere in the country and he's going to be one of their top columnists, if not their top columnist. I mean, he's that good. Uh And, you know, I have a world of respect for his work and a world of respect for, uh, for him, but we go at it. Why do we go at it? Because we both have strong opinions, you know, and a lot of times they, they clash and, uh, you know, we go at it on the radio a lot, but, but we also, (laughs) you know, and this is like brothers too, you can get in an argument with a guy and in this case, Sully, and we've had some blowups, and two seconds later, we look at each other and start laughing, and it's over. It's done. We don't hold grudges. It's just us being us—two knuckleheads who have strong opinions that that aren't afraid to voice them. You know, so you know, trust me. If, if other people think that uh, you know that they've disagreed with Sully, I mean, you should hear our telephone conversations. You okay. <laughs> know, we go, we disagree all the time, but but to me, you know. I I respected him so much and that we had such a good working relationship and understood each other so well that it just seemed like a natural fit, you know? And, you know, and, and we are friends and we are coworkers and, you know, I, I just think that it it seems like, you know, you you have one without the other almost. It's it's there's something there, you know, there's something there that I think is worth, that is worth keeping. And, uh, my relationship is certainly my relationship with him is certainly one of those things.
1: How did the Bucky and Sully radio show, which again, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 12 noon on 1270 The Fan, how did that opportunity to do that daily show come about? Well, we thought
0: that there was a hole in the market. There Um, is. I certainly did. I mean, you know, I don't want to sit here and criticize other media in town. I mean, we've, but I'm, I'm about to anyway. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I think influence that you know the pro sports teams have over the media that is isn't right. Um, in other words, I think that there's a lot of people that are compromising their positions in one form or another, whether they are being paid by you know the Bills or Sabers directly or indirectly, or they have working relationships with them, um, or they rely on them for advertising in one form or another. You know, it seems like there's always some sort of a connection with almost every platform of media in this town. And to me, I I thought and still think and firmly believe that people shouldn't be afraid of the truth in Buffalo, New York. They never were before, but they deserved what the truth was. And they deserved, you know, cold, hard opinions. There had to be an alternative. We never thought that the that, that alternative radio in Buffalo would be telling the truth of all things. It's the easiest thing any of us can do. But we thought that there was a platform there. And, you know, we had radio shows in the past. We had a television show in the past. We just thought it would be a lot of fun. And we thought that we would be able to uh, to serve people that wanted to listen. That, you know, we had heard from a lot of people. Sully would tell you this, too. When we left and we were off all summer, I couldn't tell you how many times people said, man, oh, man, I wish you were still there. I wish we could still you know, either listen to you or have you, have you guys on TV or whatever, read what you guys are writing because we really need that in this town. It was kind of funny. You know, the same people I think that were yelling and screaming at us about their teams were also the same people that were saying like, well, wait a minute. You know, these were the only guys uh, in some ways that were, that were telling the truth uh, on a lot of days there. And we missed those guys. And look, man, I always understood that the, you know, people when they were yelling and screaming about us, they're, they were really yelling and screaming about their teams. Yeah. You know, we were delivering a message about their teams. And at at the heart of the heart of, of Bill's fans and Savers fans, most understood that really the problems was, was with their teams, not the people writing about their teams. So we thought, you know, radio was a, was a great way to do it. You know, but the challenge was whether or not we could make it work, you know, did, was there somebody out there that where, you know, they had enough faith in us and was there a platform for us to do it well 1270 in the fan I don't think that you could ask for a better platform than that you know um they gave us an opportunity and we've been at it for a couple of months now and we've learned a lot and you know we continue to get better and we're having a lot of fun and I think that the, the show is true to what we wanted to be and that is you know there's no BS here you know there's as, as Reuben Brown came on the show and said, it was one of our first shows, if not our very, very very first show. There's no fake news going on here at this station. We're going to give it to you straight because that's what people deserve.
1: Well, I'll tell you, man, when I first heard that you guys were having a radio show, I was pumped. It's not, and I'm not playing favorites because I have you on my podcast right now, and I'm not directing hate towards WGR because it's nothing like that at all. I just think for sports fans, I think there needs to be more than an alternative. Honestly, when all you guys are at the Buffalo News, I, I've i always hated the Buffalo News being a one major newspaper town, I always wish that there was a, a good secondary paper too, just for Me more too. competition. And I feel the same way about radio. Yeah, I mean, when I was at the
0: Buffalo News, I wanted another newspaper because I, I thought that uh, other people should have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, they, you know, I think the local sports teams would have been criticized by two papers. You, you wouldn't have been able to blame just one all the time, right? Yeah. Look at those two guys. You know, it, it just, you know, it would have actually helped us. And hey, I, I like the guys over at GR. You know, a lot of them are, are friends of mine, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it has. I have nothing negative to say. I mean, they've built a wonderful business over there. We're just doing something different. That's all. Yeah, I just thought it was it was a cool thing and, a, and an opportunity to do something different. And you know, again, I mean, are certain things compromised over there? I mean, that, I guess that's for other people to say. I, I think on a certain level, there have been people that have been compromised over there. I mean, if you listen to what's going on there in the afternoon You're talking about people that are directly paid by the organization. So what do you expect? You know, they're not going to come when you you look at the bills and the situation that they're in right now, and the way that they've mishandled this Nathan Peterman situation. You know, I think that people should be held accountable for that. I think that, you know, there, there needs to be a voice to say, these guys screwed this up. Does it mean that Sean McDermott is a bad coach? No, I think he's a good coach, but they screwed this up. So let's stop coddling you know, the, the the readers and the listeners and everybody else and just say what it is. They screwed it up, okay? And and talk about it. It's okay. We've all made mistakes. And I've made a million of them. But it's okay to, to, to basically say that. And I think on, on a certain level, you're not hearing that enough. You're, you're just not. And it's a shame.
1: Do you feel like you're getting more comfortable on the radio now than before? I mean, it's one thing for you and Sully to have a TV show or a radio show once a week but now you're on every morning during the week. Is it a big adjustment for you?
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, I think the biggest adjustment for us really was, um, you know, making sure that we were staying out of each other's way because, you know, the the worst thing that you can have, and it actually happened today, you know, where you have two people kind of yelling and screaming over each other, you know, but it doesn't really accomplish anything other than when people are listening on the radio, they just hear, hear two people fighting, you know, nobody, nobody wants to hear that. So in the beginning, there's a little bit of that. We're trying to find our space a little bit. And I think right now we've, we've kind of found a rhythm, you know, who, you know, I understand where he's going with certain things. We, as much as we disagree and have a reputation for, for disagreeing and going at it, we actually agree on a lot of things. And, um, and I think that we see the world in, in similar ways. So, and not always, but in similar ways. And, you know, I think that, you know, as close as we are, I, I think it still took a little bit of time to do that. And what I found is that you know when you're on a radio show, it's no joke. I mean you don't just get up there and you know start spewing. Right. So you need to be prepared. You need to know what you're talking about. you know you better have some insight and the whole thing for me, uh, I think what our show brings is as is, is much as anything that I've heard released around here in a long time is content. <laughs> it's all about information. How are you able to break down information now, you know, you can take away our jobs or our columns or you can do whatever you want. But one thing you can't take away from us is experience and perspective. And so we're able to break things down. Like we listen to post-game interviews and, you know, we're not just talking about the answers, some some of which are vague and they're coming from the football coach or they're coming from the hockey coach. We're also breaking down some of the questions and saying, you know, come on, you need to be a little bit better than that. You know what I mean? And there's also ways for us to interpret because we've we've been at it for so long we've been reporters uh and columnists and you, you know you've interviewed so many people of getting to the the crux i think of what the message is and if you listen to Sean McDermott closely enough sometimes he's letting you know what the answer is you just have to be able to to listen closely enough and break down the answer and and then you at, at some point you finally come to the conclusion you said oh this is what he's saying what he's saying is this right here and uh, if you listen close enough, then I think that he does that for you. And we're trying to we're trying to do that. We're trying to to serve as a conduit between you know the listeners who who might be in their car, they're sitting at home, they're they're listening online, and and our experience of being at these news conferences, saying you know these are the words that McDermott is using, but here's actually what he's saying.
1: You kind of segued right into what I was getting at here. You guys have a morning show. on a a significant radio station, you're covering the bills literally on a daily basis yet. And this is complete and utter bullshit. They have not credentialed you guys yet to cover press conferences. Why do you think that this is happening? Because that's just absolutely absurd, stupid, and ridiculous.
0: My, I don't know the reason for it. Uh, To me, there is no reason for it. The only conclusion that I can draw from this is that, they want to pick and choose who covers their teams based on whether or not they agree with their opinions or their work. It's awful. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we have been critical of the Pagulas. Why we've been critical of the Pagulas? because they've made a million mistakes. Look at the results. And I think that it's that, I don't think that it's anything more than that. You know, they can spin it however they wanted. I know one thing that came up was, uh, you know, we asked for credentials for, uh, the Maven didn't get them. You know, they, we were basically told that, you know, it's, it, it's not a real company. It's not this, it's not this, it's not this. I mean, we've, there's a lot of back and forth that went through. I stayed out of it. I let my supervisors handle it after, after initially getting shut down. And then they basically said, well, it's on hold. Well, here we are in week eight now and still yeah. don't have that. But regardless, we certainly should have had, had credentials for the radio show. And they, you know, the bill's response was, well, they gave two to the cumulus and they did. And that, you know, by the time we put in for it, it was past the deadline, which is true. But really, I mean, we put in for the credential request before the uh, the season opener. It takes you two seconds to give somebody a credential and say, here you go. There's plenty of seats up there. Yes, there and is. And so we could take it only one way. And that was that they really just didn't like us. Yeah. And why did they like us? Because we've been critical of them. And And if we're not there, then. Maybe some of these tough questions that we think should be asked and haven't been asked, um, maybe that's their way of saying, well, we don't have to deal with these guys. And I think that's weak.
1: That's that, It's ridiculous. You know other markets well. Is this something that's common in other markets?
0: No, it's not common anywhere else. In fact, as, the Maven, as far as the Maven is concerned, Buffalo is the only city that I know of that the uh, the NFL team didn't grant credentials to. The only one. Now, why would that be? I guess that's a question that, you know, your listeners are going to have to answer for themselves, but it's, it's ridiculous to me. And you know what? That's fine. We're we're going to continue doing what we do. We're going to continue, you know, giving people straight answers. We're going to continue to, to write the way that we write. And we've been in those locker rooms long enough to know what's going on. So, you know, if anything, I think that it probably hurts the teams because, you know, look, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't like every column that I ever wrote was critical. I wrote a lot of features about a lot of players and, and, and positive stuff, uh, in many sports on many levels. And those are the things that I really enjoy doing as much as anything else. Those things aren't being done right now because we can't get in the building. And that's a shame.
1: Who have been a few of your personal favorite guests that you've had on the radio so far? Uh,
0: as far as our guests? Yeah. Oh, we've had some really, we've had some really good guests. I mean, it's, it has been fun. I mean, you know, it's it's hilarious when you talk to somebody like uh, you know, William Pickner, the actor, the Hollywood actors from Chictawaga, and you and you draw out the passion in him <laughs> that is like an absolute nutso Bills fan, right? I mean mm-hmm. the guy is he's just off his uh, rocker when it comes to Buffalo sports and you know, we all know him as this great actor. And uh if, if you've seen his movies, I mean you know what Ever watched mom, the sitcom or whatever then you know how, how good he really is. And, and yet there's still like a Buffalo boy deep inside him. And it's, it's this little kid. That's, it's a, that's a bills and Sabers fan that that just can't get enough, even even though he's on the other side of the country. So he came on and he was awesome. He was hilarious. Like we had Thurman Thomas on last week. I thought he was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, I know he spoke with a lot of different media uh, and, and we were, we were one of them. And, and, you know, I just, he was really good. I mean, he was a really good player, but he was also, you know, if you know Thurman at all, he's, he's very honest and very honest with himself, and so he's been good. But we've had uh, we've had so many guests on and so and so many different forms already that um, you know to sit there and try to pick one or two or whatever is, is, is really difficult to do. It, it just is. And Nick McKay, who was another guy that he was awesome. We've had um, you know various players, ex players, you know people that we know in our business, columnists that we know. You know, one of the things that we try to bring to the, to the radio show is, is what we bring or what we, you know, like to to think that we bring. And that is honesty. Well, if you want honesty, you know, call a columnist, you know, call a columnist from whatever newspaper or whatever, you know, platform or whatever forum that that they have. And, uh, and, and get that guy on the show because he's going to give it to you straight. And that's what the show's about. So, uh, you know, and we're going to have more, so. You know we're gonna we're, we're gonna have more people and and we know how to get to a lot of them and 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 a good chunk of them are, are friends of ours. So um, you know we're just gonna keep bringing it as, as much as we can.
1: I got one Bills question for you, and then we're gonna get out of here, wrap up with the mini lightning round. Here's my one question. Now you've covered the Bills forever, 17 years. They don't make the playoffs. It's the same ending every year. Halloween, maybe Thanksgiving. Team's looking forward to the draft year after year. They stink. Last year, they make the playoffs, 17-year drought, over. You would think it would be Euphoria in Buffalo for at least a couple years. It'd be a honeymoon period. We're at the halfway point, 2018, completely gone. The fans seem worse on this team now than they were during the drought. In your wildest dreams, did you think that in January, this team would be ending the playoff drought after 17 years? Fast forward 10 months later, a lot of fans hate this team now as much as they ever have.
0: Yeah, I, you know, as far as the playoff drought, that took a lot of people by surprise and it certainly took me by surprise. And, you know, I want to give credit where it's due. I thought that Sean McDermott got about as much out of that team as he could possibly get. Mm -hmm. And he needed every ounce of it, um, as it turned out, and a little help uh, from his friend, Andy Dalton. So, you know, that I think was, that was a pleasant surprise. I was thrilled that it was over and I thought that they were going to be on to, uh, bigger and better things, but it also goes back to a conversation that I had with McDermott last year. And, and, you know, I, I, I respect him and respect him for his honesty, uh, in certain ways and understand why he's not so uh, forthcoming in other ways. But one of the things that he said last year, and this was the day after the day after they made the playoffs and I had, I was sitting down with him. It was just the two of us. And he was telling me, he said, listen, man, you know, this team, it's got some warts to it. Uh, you know, I asked him, I said, did you have like 24 hours to kind of enjoy the small Now, he wasn't here for the 17 years. For him, it was like, all right, we made the playoffs, that's good. Mm-hmm. But he warned me at the time, he said, this team has a lot of warts. And I knew that there was going to be, uh, they were going to be taking a step back. What I didn't know was that this quarterback situation was going to be such a mess. And mm-hmm. it is an absolute and utter mess between... You know, Nathan Peterman, he had confidence in him. I knew he had confidence in him last year. And to him completely flopping uh, in the first game of the year, just it was almost like a replay of what you saw last year in, in uh, against the Chargers in L.A. Uh, to Josh Allen, who, you know, just really wasn't ready, uh, I don't think, to take on the role that he had as the number one quarterback of the NFL. He needed some more time to learn. And, you know, it's scary, but it could be, they could be in the same situation to begin next year where, you know, Allen's injury did not allow him to develop or he may not be good enough to play in the league. You just don't know until you have kind of uh, a a much larger sample size to know whether or not a guy can play in the league and, and the jury's still out on him. So I don't know what people are feeling about the bills. I mean, you know, is there disdain? Has it grown? Are they, are they even more upset? I think maybe when you watch this team play and the frustration builds and the expectations build um, and and they're they're not able to meet those expectations and then it allows the frustration to build and then there's different expectations and then you don't meet them. And then the frustration builds again. I mean, it's just like, this is what Buffalo is. It's what Buffalo does. So I don't know the degrees of, of anger or frustration. um, You know, it feels like a lot of, of, like a lot of years in Buffalo, really.
1: All right, here's what we're going to do. I end this same way every single time. Little mini lightning round. Just going to ask you a handful of random questions. No deep thought required. Whatever the first answer you think of, just spit it out. That's your answer. Cool?
0: Yeah, I'll do my best. You know, I'm a big mouth, so I've already (laughs) proved it during this interview.
1: Favorite athlete that you've ever covered?
0: Arthur Ashe. Interesting.
1: Interesting. Favorite activity. No, I
0: didn't cover well, hang on. I mean, can I can we back that up? Because I didn't cover him, but it was it was somebody that I interviewed. Okay. Um, and I just I was Arthur Ash. I mean, it was amazing. You know, but I mean it's kind of an unfair question. I mean I, I hate to screw this up, so you you can wipe out this tape I any mean, if you want, we can go through it again.
1: No, because I like you know, the, I, I like cover, Arthur Ash.
0: Did I did I cover Wayne Gretzky? I mean, yeah. I mean I covered Wayne Gretzky, but was he a favorite? I didn't really have a relationship with him, but he was Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> so you
1: know. All right. You made you made mince me to my question. That's a bad question. I'm not gonna ask people that anymore. <laughs> What's your favorite it's activity a tough to question. do? It is a tough question. Favorite activity to do?
0: Uh <laughs> you mean outside of this? Outside of uh, talking
1: to me and being a writer and being a radio host.
0: My favorite activity to do, I like sitting on my back porch with a cold beer on a hot summer day. What kind of beer? Talking to my wife. I just switched to Yingling.
1: Nice. That's popular in Florida, by the way. Really popular down here.
0: All right. Well, I can move there.
1: <laughs> What's your favorite city to visit? Ooh. Uh,
0: I'll take Vancouver. Vancouver. I'll say i Va- I'll say Vancouver. I'd love Vancouver when I was there for the Olympics, but you know, hey, you know, New York is awesome. You know what I mean? It's New yeah. York. So yeah.
1: who is the most entertaining fellow Buffalo sports media member that you know?
0: Most entertaining.
1: Yeah. You always get a good laugh from him or her.
0: I don't want to give Sully that much credit, man.
1: I gotta go <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, you gotta go somewhere else.
0: Ah, oh, you got me. I really, I mean, I want I don't find them to be overly entertaining. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, fair enough. The answer is uh, nobody. You know, I mean,
0: we're all working, so it's not like, you know, we're sitting around, you know, and something somebody's putting on a show. Right. Uh, that's a tough
1: question, man. I'm sorry. I'm struggling <laughs> here. <laughs> Do you have a favorite sports movie? Uh... Probably Caddyshack. Me too. That's right up there. That's a good one. Do you have a favorite TV show? I'm, I'm not sure how much TV you get to watch, but is there any one or two shows that you really enjoy watching?
0: In my lifetime? Sure. I really like The Sopranos. I'm not much of a. I'm not. It's not like I'm sitting around here watching sitcoms and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I watched Friends. You know, I watched. Uh, two and a half men, you know, my favorite TV show ever is probably all in the family.
1: If you had to go back in time and do it all over again, and for whatever reason, the sports journalism thing, it didn't work out for you for any reason. doesn't matter why. What do you think you may have ended up doing with your life?
0: I would have been a state trooper. Oh, really? Uh, I took the exam and I thought that I killed the exam. And when I, when I walked out of there, I was like, this is what I'm going to be doing. I probably would have been a New York state trooper. I have a lot of them in my family. So Hmm. um, it seems to be somewhat genetic.
1: (laughs) Okay. Second last question here. I know you kind of have a love hate relationship with Twitter, but if Twitter were to send you a note and say, Hey, Bucky, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter and one person only, that's the new policy. Who would be that one person on Twitter that you feel like you got to follow? Barack Obama. All right, we've reached the last question. It's the same question I ask every guest that I have. If you could have three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive, does not matter when, anyone, three dinner guests, who you got?
0: Um, I'm going to go with Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Nelson Mandela. Okay. And... I'm going to go with Marilyn Monroe.
1: All right. Bucky Gleason, everyone. Follow Bucky on Twitter at Bucky Gleason. Of course, check out his and Sully's work at Buffalo Maven. I'll put the the link in the show notes here. And you can catch your radio show every weekday morning between 9 and 12 noon on 1270 to fan in Buffalo. Thanks, Bucky. This was fun. This was a good chat, man. You carried the entire show. I love it. I don't got to do nothing else, though. No.
0: <laughs> well, that's part of my problem. I don't know when to shut up. Sometimes, so <laughs> thanks for thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I, I've been criticized and and I've been complimented for that uh, ability to just keep running my yip.
1: All right, that'll do it for this episode. Big thank you once again to Bucky Gleason, writer for the Buffalo Maven and radio host at twelve seventy The Fan. Still getting used to saying that. feels kind of weird, but you know what? Bucky's doing great. He's bounced back from the Buffalo News, doing a tremendous job. And I mean, listen, man, (laughs) you want to talk about a guy who says what he means and means what he says? Well, there you go. That was a good one. Bucky's takes on the direction of newspapers, hockey tanking, the future of sports media. Just solid stuff, man. Solid. Coming up on the show next Tuesday... Pat with Bucks will be back. We'll be recapping the Buffalo Bills-Chicago Bears game. We'll talk a little Sabres, I'm sure plenty more. Maybe I'll have a special guest on that podcast as well. You never know. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes and Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. Just hit that subscribe button. Literally, that's all you got to do. Bam. Bam. New episodes automatically get sent right to your phone and to your laptop. Play them, keep them, play them and delete them if they're taking up too much memory on your phone. Whatever you want to do, the choice is yours. You want to go ahead and give us a five star rating? That would be really cool as well. If you don't have iTunes and Apple Podcasts, you can also catch us on Stitcher, iHeart Radio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Pad Tweets. Constantly have podcast news and updates on there. So check that out. Once again, thank you for listening. I truly appreciate it. Have yourself a nice, safe weekend. I'll talk to you guys again on Tuesday. Peace out. For the
0: one standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor.
1: And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call slash safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.